man, the best person to rape is your wife. And now I guess he feels a little bit emboldened. He must be careful with what he says. I think we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard. Uh, racism is essentially a white problem. For you to understand what racism is about, you're going to be so uncomfortable. As Christians, we love the homosexual and the transgender. Homosexuality is sin. You know, everybody's like, you taught that from school, everywhere. Big business, you want to be successful, you want to be like Trump. Gimme, 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 push, 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 push. Step, 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 crush, crush, crush. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Here we go, Profane Faith fam. Here we go once again. We are back in the house, back in the place. Welcome to Profane Faith, y'all. If this is your first time, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. We're on all major platforms. So if you haven't already, like and subscribe. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a big thing. And if you haven't checked out our website at whitehodgepodcast.com, highly recommended. You'll find uh, show notes there. And, um, all kind of goodies as well, just linked to uh, each of our guests, uh, especially if they're promoting a book or if they have a website or just basic plain old support um, in these crazy times. You can check that out. And if you want to know more about me, my story is there as well. I was, In fact, that was the first episode um, of the podcast was me uh, sharing my story. And uh, if you want the extended version, because I know it's long, <laughs> um, you can go to SoundCloud. We also have an account on SoundCloud as well. I, I've, I've seen like SoundCloud doesn't get as much traction um, as, of course, you know, iTunes or Amazon Music or Spotify or whatever. But nevertheless, we are on SoundCloud, so you can check that out. So thank you for joining us. If this is your first time, for those who are veterans, been here since day one, uh, welcome back again. Uh, Six seasons, it's hard to believe, here, January, at least at the time we're recording this January, of the year of our Lord, 2022. Um, uh, it's, uh, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the year. Uh, I This year will mark that I 30 years that I have been out of high school. That number is a trip to me. Um, 30 years, that, I... <laughs> I don't even know what to say, man. In fact, the, the, two days ago, three days ago, uh, Emily, my spouse, uh, was uh, her and I were watching a commercial and it was talking about, uh, you know, quote unquote, back in the day. And they had this older couple on there. And the back in the day was cats from the 90s, like with bright colored clothes and uh, a flat top. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. We ain't that old. Come on now. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a trip. Like that is that, that's now the old, right? Uh, that's the, you know, the, the yesteryear. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. Um, especially, you know, with kind of the love and fascination of the eighties and nineties, I'm, you know, having been a, a product of that and lived through that era. Sometimes I'm like, all right, that, nope, that's incorrect. That is a misnomer. Um, you know, and same thing with the nineties, right? Especially when it comes to like black, 
culture of the 90s. It's like it's one thing to have read about it, embraced it because you like it and whatnot. But it's another thing to live through it. And I realized that, you know, uh, as a hip hop producer, you know, and just musician, engaging with music from the 70s 60s and 50s right it's like i didn't well i was a part of the 70s but um the 60s you know it wasn't i didn't live in there i didn't i didn't you know hear the first time right the beatles dropped a new song or whatever but it's like you know when you're around and seeing that video drop of thriller right that's something different right when you're there in front of the television the two the big booty televisions um, as opposed to listening or seeing it on YouTube. Again, you can learn about it. You can study it. You can become, quote-unquote, an expert, especially in the academy, right? I'm always amazed at how many people are labeled experts on things, and I'm like, really? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, there's something about living through that era and living uh, through that. And, um, you know, just the same way as it is now. It's something to live through the pandemic, um, as opposed to somebody studying it 70 years from now. Um, so just a little difference, just a little thing. It just, it just trips me out. Like this June, I'm like, wow, I still remember walking across this. I was just happy to get the hell out of high school and, you know, no real future dreams or nothing. Right. It's like my guidance counselor said, you'd be a good carpenter. And I lived into that. I lived into that prophecy for a long time. I was a licensed contractor for a long time. For those of you who don't really know my backstory and whatnot, I did, um, uh, plumbing and uh, that was kind of my specialty plumbing and heating uh, in California and uh, I was a licensed general contractor um, from like the early 90s really until like the year 2000 I paid through uh, through undergrad I I did a lot of work um, just on the side just to help pay for college and all that stuff right um, and uh, you know white folks always love to hear that shit right oh yeah that little nigger boy he <laughs> he sure did work his ass off right you gotta earn right <laughs> Oh, God, that should be cracking me up. But nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, it was a story, um, and I, I was able to pay for stuff um, by building houses, remodeling houses, and, you know, laying concrete, crap like that, right? Uh, putting in a new uh, bathroom. And, of course, those skills have transferred uh, to my now current home and abode, which is great. Um, although I hated roofs. I hated roofs. I cannot stand heights. I've always been... A fear of had a fear of heights and uh, or phobia of it and so i just i couldn't oh i tell you it's a good thing for me to lose weight in the summer because oh man i sweated everything off man so when it comes time to do our roof i'm hiring that shit out boy <laughs> at any rate i just just a little backstory there um this week uh, i wanted to get right into it because this uh every now and then i like to break down uh some aspects of pedagogy 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 um, and how aspects of the classroom um, are being engaged. And as a lot of you know, um, I'm a department chair at the university I teach at. And so I have the awesome opportunity and privilege of hiring folks. And I was able to come across this amazing person, uh, Nikki Neagle, uh, which you're about to meet. And uh, she just is, she reminds me a lot of, big shout out to Leslin McCallum, who was my communications professor way back in the 90s, speaking of the 90s uh when i started a community college and she just like opened my mind to like oh my gosh this is amazing her classes were engaging like i signed up for all of leslin's class i was like man whatever you teaching i'm in there and those of you who've been to college or you know any kind of like classroom you know you have those teachers those professors I, at least i hope you have um we're just like wow that just opened my mind i love this class i'm gonna take everything they teach uh that's what nikki is at, at our institution i so wish 
she was full-time. Unfortunately, she's part-time with us. I wish we could have her on the uh, tenure track, uh, but she's not. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a whole nother conversation in and of itself. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, I'm just thankful to have her uh, as an affiliate um, uh, professor at our university. Uh, and she's teaching there with us. So I wanted to get her on the show, talk a little bit about faith, race, teaching, uh, her coming up as a scholar, as a teacher, as a practitioner. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I saw, I mean, she's, I'm going to put, again, all this in the show notes. Uh, she did a great TED talk and uh, she's just got a lot of interesting things and students again just love her to death um she has lived on uh, both coasts drawing inspiration and following her own simple credo quote to enjoy life to the fullest and aspires to help others to do the same possessed by her midwest sensibility west coast calm and east coast edge nikki has decided or dedicated her life to motivating the masses with a no-nonsense but understanding approach She's qualified as a public speaking instructor, accountability coach, relationship guru, women's empowerment, her or empowerment. That's what it's uh, at least that's what uh, it's called. Uh, she's a coach, life coach, life manager and overall cheerleader. Nikki simply says, I will make your life better and easier and probably more fun. Uh, and if it's any indication by uh, her student evals, I can definitely affirm that she has a Bachelor of Arts in adult training and development from Northeastern Illinois. She has a Master of Arts in Communication Media and Theater from Northeastern Illinois University. Uh, she founded her and created her, producer her, host about women's series. Um, I will put all these, uh, her website and everything in the show notes again, at White Hodge Podcast, click on uh, Profane Faith. And uh, you will get all the show notes for every episode. Very thankful to have Nikki on. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. She's doing amazing work. And check out her story. And check out just how she breaks things down in the classroom. Especially with somebody who doesn't do any tests and doesn't lecture a lot. Huh? Revolutionary. All right, fam. Check it. Cool. We are rolling. All right. Here we, here we go. Back at it here on Profane Faith. Folks, I've got an amazing person a genius, if you will, a, a colleague of mine uh, at the university that I teach at, uh, Nikki Neagle. Uh, she is here to uh, inform us on all things that is uh, communication, engagement, pedagogy, feminism, all that good stuff. Um, thanks for joining us, Nikki. Hey, thanks, Dan. And I I must say I'm super impressed that you spell or that you pronounce my name, my last name correctly. Um, that's a thing that people don't know how to do. And so I'm always impressed that people know how to pronounce my last name. It's only four letters, but it gets botched every time. So, oh, well, I, so you, thank you for paying attention. Oh, absolutely. That. Absolutely. It's it's one of uh, it's one of the one of the things that I it's like when somebody tells me how I remember you told me like, hey, this is how I pronounce my last name and the first time we yeah. met and I was like, all right, that leaves an impression and I can I can do that. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one of the questions I the first questions that I ask all my guests, uh, what's been happening from birth to now? What's been going on? What has what has made uh, 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 Nikki? What, who, how, where? All those things. Um. Oh, that's a good question. That is such a good question. Um, and it's so like specific and vague all at the same time. Like it's, right. <laughs> like, I, you know, it reminds me of someone, I, I, I don't know if it was a meme or, I, or someone said it, but they're like, if you take steps two at a time, it's the most 
lazy and ambitious thing you can do. Yeah. And I thought, oh my goodness, yes, taking steps two at a time is lazy and ambitious. I, I love that. <laughs> so your question is not only vague, but it's also ridiculously specific. Um, I, You know, what makes me me or what's been happening since the day I was born until now, I would say like a lot of it is, you know, choices that I've made for myself. Mm -hmm. And it's also choices that were made for me because let's be honest, we can't make every every everything that's been happening to us is not always something that we have consciously chosen. I mean, sometimes life is just sort of, there's certain things that are just chosen and you just have to kind of work around us. I mean, in the pandemic being one of them, right? The most recent choice that, um, that was not our choice. So the mm. recent happening that wasn't our choosing, that wasn't something that we could control. But I think learning how to navigate around um, sort of a, a, a massive event like that, uh, you know, I mean, I think we all have these happenings in our life that sort of ground us, that sort of make us, you know, kind of form our identity. Um, and many of the things like I moved to New York city in the middle of nine 11, um, not oh, like on wow. purpose, not like I wasn't like nine 11 happened. And I was like, I got to move to New York, yeah. but I was living, um, in San Francisco. And then my roommate and I were like, let's move to New York. We knew we were going to go in the fall at some point mm -hmm. and then put money down on an apartment on September 1st of wow. that year. Wow. And so like, packing boxes in mid September and then nine 11 happened. So, but that's the thing is that, you know, we could have choose, we could have chose to like, or, you know, made a choice of being like, Oh, that's too scary. I don't want to do it. And then, but we moved anyway. Uh, Cause we kind of figured it was probably the safest place to live at that time. But, but I think like there are major moments like that, that sort of can define you. Mm -hmm. Right, that define like your existence and your being, but then I also think like part of like who I am and what I've been doing since the day I was born is also like these tiny little decisions that you pr I probably like don't really think too heavy about, mm -hmm. but they helped formulate like the days instead of like the milestones. Right there, yeah. they help formulate like. The, the the mundane, which can be also very exciting in a weird way. Um, I'm, I'm really fascinated by like sort of the everyday life, the, you know, and I think as I get older too, I find the, the everyday life to be, um, I don't know, cathartic. Okay. I find that like kind of living life and, and being like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I've, I'm going to teach today or I, you know, I've got to, I've got to go to the gym and I find like, I enjoy that routine. You know, I was think like, I like to break the routine, but I also find something really comforting in the routine. It's something that we, we know and we love, but I'll tell you by the end of the semester, I'm like, all right, I'm ready to like, I need something different. Yeah. You know, and I need a break. And so I think it's, I'm kind of finding that balance. And so have a very very long answer, I think, to your to your very um, vaguely specific question. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. I mean, I, I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, and I think, 
Yeah, with 9-11, I mean, t- speaking of that, I mean, I know we, uh, you know, as a society here in the States, right, we just, we had the 20-year, you know, uh, yeah. it's kind of hard to believe, too. I mean, I still remember that day, and, um, you know, and, and, and it still feels like, well, that wasn't that that long ago, but you think, wow, that's two decades has passed. Um, and so much, right, has happened. What, um, and, and like, what got you to New York? Like, why? I mean, that West Coast, East Coast, like, oh my right. gosh, especially San Francisco uh, and right. just the Bay. What, what drew you to New York? Um, there and now we're now you're here in Chicago. So yeah, well, I think it. I think in order to talk about San Francisco and New York, I I need to talk about where I'm originally from. Come on, um, I'm originally from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'm okay. originally from right a town of sixty thousand people. I grew up in a blue blue collar family. Uh, my whole family is still in Oshkosh, um, and. I think there was always this desire to want to see more of wanting to, to know more out there. Um, and so San Francisco happened. San Francisco is plan B. It was never, it was never the, never plan A. Plan A was actually London and that fell through royally. Okay. Um, right. No pun intended as I say that, but <laughs> that it didn't happen. And I never thought it wasn't going to happen. I, and San Francisco was sort of this thing that was like, Oh yeah, I'll go to San Francisco. And then, London didn't go, didn't work. And, and I went to San Francisco in 97. Um, and so this was like, you know, there's no cell phones, there's no internet. Like it's just a very, very different world. And I'm not saying that there weren't any cell phones, but just like they weren't kind of in in our everyday lives. Um, you know, my claim to fame in San Francisco was always like, I had a three bedroom apartment for $1,500, which is completely unheard of (laughs) now. Um, and so I think in order to talk about like, you know, yeah, I'm in Chicago and I've been in Chicago now for 16 years. Mm. You kind of have to work backwards of like, you know, the West coast was appealing to me from Wisconsin because it's the West coast, right? It's, there's, you know, there's no seasons and there's no winter. And I was coming from Wisconsin and I, you know, I knew somebody that lived in San Francisco. So that was sort of the thing. And then, New York happened, I think, because I was on the West Coast and my roommate was talking about moving to New York or moving there for a summer. And and I think, you know, I was 27 at the time, 26, 27. And I was like, you know, at some point in time, I won't be able to just pick up or I probably won't have the opportunity just to pick up and move. So why not? Because I didn't really have anything holding me in San Francisco. I didn't I wasn't like dating seriously. I was working in litigation. I didn't even have a my college education at that point. And I think it was just like, well, let's let me take this opportunity because who knows when this will come. And so moving to the East Coast from the West Coast just sort of seemed like this natural progression of like, well, and I think I could always sort of look ahead and be like, this isn't always going to be my life. You know, at some point in time, my life is going to look very differently. Now, what it was going to look like, I didn't have, I didn't have like a five-year goal or a 10-year goal. And I didn't even have a goal of um, going back to college, right? Because I dropped out at 20. But I think there was just some sort of like adventurous side of me. And so Mm. moving to New York and, um, you know, and I always get the question of like, what did you like better? And I'm like, I don't know. It's like, they're completely two different cities, but they served a purpose for what I was going through in my life at that time. Yeah. Um, 
and you know never was planning on moving to new york never planned on living in chicago um but you know i chicago just ended up it sort of was this happy medium of i was in my early 30s and i wanted to be close to my family but i wanted to be in a big city and chicago was this wonderful happy medium and here I am and never thought I'd be here 16 years later, but I started to sort of form pieces of my adulthood here by going back to school, getting my master's degree, um, starting a consulting business, you know, kind of creating a community. Um, I met my husband, um, you know, here. So it's Chicago brought this whole new dimension to me that I just didn't have on the West coast and the East coast. Yeah. It, it, it gave me a piece of, I guess it gave me an anchor in a way. It gave mm. me a home here. Yeah. No, yeah. that's what's up. That's what's up. Well, I love yeah. that. I asked that for a lot of reasons, just cause you know, I, I love to hear when folks have traveled, you know, different cities. Cause you're right. I mean, each city, like, which one do you like better? It's like, well, like you said, it's, it's apples and oranges. It's just like, well, yeah. it's, it's a, they're two completely different contexts. Um, but that's, yeah, that's great. I mean, and I, I like that you said, I didn't know you, you, uh, in terms of college, you sounds like you went back later in life. Yeah, uh, I went back. I, I went to school at 18. Like you do when you graduate high school. And yeah. I only went because I was like, well, I guess this is what you do. Um, like I said, I came from a blue collar family. Um, and not that like they didn't support me going to college, but when I left college at 20, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't, nobody was like, How, well, what are you going to do? It's just like, well, you just gotta get a job. Like it was just like this natural thing. And, um, and there was never any pressure of like, when are you going to go back? When are you going to go back? And I ended up going back at 34 years old. I mean, it was, I was scared out of my mind. It was, mm. I went back in 2008 and the last time I had was in college was 1994 and the world of college <laughs> changed yeah. drastically. Yeah. And part of it was that I, when I met Chad, my husband, I met him, we were, I think I was just about to turn 32 when I met Chad. Okay. And I, it was the, you know, he had a college education and he was a skateboarder. I guess he kind of still is a skateboarder in a way, but he had all these skateboard friends that had been skateboarding since they were like 12, you know, 11, but they all had like these professional jobs. Um, you know, they were professors and doctors and they worked, you know, in corporate America. And I, it was a new concept for me to, kind of have this hobby, but then also be a professional. Like, and so I, he was back in school in his thirties. He like went back to get a second bachelor's. And I remember he showed me a, a, a thumb drive. This is 2008. He showed me like, you know, a USB drive, a thumb drive. And I was like, what is that? And he said, that's how I save my homework is on this thumb drive. I'm like, why don't you put it on a CD? Why don't you put it on a disc? Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I, I, to me, it was a legitimate question. Absolutely. 2008. I'm like, and he's like, no, you just put it on this thumb drive. Like, cause not all computers have disc drives and the whole thing. And I was like, and that scared me. It really yeah. kind of frightened me because it was, I was at this point where I was like, I don't, I don't know something like tech wise and not that I was like a big tech person, but I always kind of consider myself pretty savvy. And that was a moment at like 33, 34 where I was like, Oh, so in, in a weird way, it was a thumb drive 
um, <laughs> that sort of was this catalyst to that got me to going back to school. Um, and I, I was fortunate. A lot of my credits had transferred from when I was, you know, in school for two years back when I was 18. And then, um, I finished my undergrad in four years, um, after I had like 53 credits transfer and I just did it part-time. I did it like two classes at a time. And then, um, apparently I loved school so much that I rolled right into a master's program. I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I was like, well, I'm on a roll, so I might as well just continue this. And I finished my master's at 40. Hey, no, that's what's yeah. up. I mean, yeah. I, and I'm curious, like why communication? Like why not master's in social work or, you know, uh, why, um, why, how did you end up in communications doing what you do now? Ah, oh, you're such a good question. Like these are such good questions. Um, I think I've always been fascinated by communication and human behavior and why we do what we do. And when I when I went back to school at 34 to kind of basically I went back to school because I just wanted to get that piece of paper. I wanted to get you know a degree of some kind. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Like I didn't know what. Ma what my major was going to be. I just thought, well, let me take a few classes. In fact, it's funny when my very first class was fall of 2008 and I, and Chad actually helped me pick out classes. Like I didn't really know what to do because everything was so overwhelming. Like it oh, was just, it was just so much for my 34 year old brain. I was like, I don't even know how to go to college. And, and I remember I took a class I took this class called foundations of communication and I thought, well, I'm extroverted. I understand foundations of communication. Like I get that and that'll be fun. And it was disguised as a public speaking class. And I didn't know that. And I did not realize that I was enrolled in a public speaking class and I was <laughs> scared out of my mind. And it's funny because now I, one of the classes I teach is public speaking, but there's no way that you could have told 2008 Nikki like someday you're going to teach a public speaking course. I would have been like, you're crazy. Like you're, this is insane. Cause I was so not good at it. Mm -hmm. I, I was so not good at it. And every semester I just kept taking a different class. And then I ran into, I ran into these adult learning and development classes and they really got me excited. They got like, they really, I was really sort of this foundation of understanding how adults learn as opposed to like how children learn. And I thought, well, I can work with this. And then my master's was originally, I was originally looking at Loyola and I was going to get a master's in higher education. I was going to kind of go that route. And every time I went to, now Loyola is a great school. I got no issues with Loyola whatsoever. But every time I would try to talk to somebody at Loyola, I was getting these panic attacks and I wasn't mm. getting these answers that I needed to, that I had questions for and, everyone I was talking to was really vague or they would kind of act like I knew what I was like, what I like, like, I don't know. Like it was just very, like everything was really confusing every time I would have a conversation with somebody at Loyola and I initially got turned down. I applied for their graduate program and I got turned down and, um, and then I found out why I got turned down. Cause I talked to the chair of the department and she basically said like, I left out a paragraph in my essay um, and I was like, okay. And I rewrote it. And then I, I actually got in. And at that point 
I, it just didn't interest me anymore. Mm. Um, not that higher education didn't interest me, but the master's program itself. And I just realized I was having all these panic attacks about going to school there. And at that time I was in my last semester at Northeastern and I, I could have taken any classes because at that point I had all my requirements. I just needed credits. And my last semester at Northeastern, I ended up taking an interpersonal communication class and a voice and diction class. And it really sort of changed my trajectory. And I ended up, one of the professors that I had really was phenomenal, just absolutely phenomenal. And I asked him about the master's program at Northeastern in communication I was like, oh, I'm the chair of that. I, you know, and I said, this is what I'm thinking. And so that, that's how I navigated into the world of communication. But I think there was always something underlying in me that I've always enjoyed communication. I've always enjoyed like, how do we talk to each other? How do we, how do we communicate? Like the nuances of communication. And because so much can get lost if you don't properly communicate that that was how I ended up sort of in this world. And I got my master's in communication, media and theater um, and loved it, loved every second of it. I mean, it was hard. It was really, really difficult. It was, um, you know, I had to, I didn't have a a big social life in those two and a half years, but so glad I did it. So, so, so glad I did it. Um, So that's kind of how I got into this communication department is I just sort of, just sort of trusting myself. And I just took one class at a time and another class and another class. And I, I just started opening my eyes and paying attention to what, what worked for me and what didn't. And mm-hmm. that's kind of how I got to this point. Well, I, I, I like that. I mean, I love the story. Cause it's like that there's so much of that, that I think a lot of folks, especially, and I don't know how it is with you in the classroom. Oftentimes I talk with students and they want to get everything right, right now. And it's yeah. like, <laughs> there's a whole life ahead of you. And more than likely, you're probably going to be doing something a little bit different in 10 or 12 <laughs> yeah. years. Um, oh, yeah. You know, no one could have told me when I was graduating high school that I was going to be a college professor. I would have laughed right in their face. And you been like, <laughs> you are a weirdo person that would that's never going to happen. <laughs> Um, and lo and behold, here I am almost, you know, almost, it's hard to believe that next year will be 30 years out of, wow. out of high school. It's crazy. Wow. I know. Cause I, yeah. Cause I graduated high school in 92. So yeah, yeah I'm 30 years. And <laughs> well, I'll tell you, even finishing my master's at 40, you could have never told me I'd be a college professor. Like there's just no way. I remember one of my master's classes I could have taken was, I forget the exact name of it, but it was basically like how to, how to design a syllabus. And I was like, I'm not going to take this class because I have no desire to be a teacher. Like, right. why would I do that? And I didn't take the class. And I, about a year or so after I graduated, two years after I graduated, I got an opportunity to teach. And I thought it sort of fell into my lap in a way, in a weird way. And I was like, well, why not? And I ended up falling in love with it. You know, I sort of leaned into this opportunity and now it's like, I can't imagine not teaching, you know, but Mm. you know, who's to say what's going to, my life is going to be like in 10 years. I mean, who's to say we're even going to be, you know, functioning as a society in (laughs) 10 years. Like, I I don't know, but it was one of those situations where, and I'm very open with my students of like, 
listen, this was never the plan when I was in college at 18. And this certainly wasn't the plan when I was in college at 35. Like this just sort of came my way and I paid attention and I leaned into it and I love it. And now I absolutely love it. And I teach very non-conventionally or unconventionally and non-traditionally. And I don't know, it seems to be resonating with my students and they, they are learning. So oh, yeah. it kind of all works out. Oh yeah. No, I read the evals. Yeah. They love you. They love yeah. you. They love yeah. you. I've had plenty of students be like, man, this is the best professor I've ever had. I'm like, man, that's <laughs> awesome. I love to hear that. Well, yeah. let me ask you then, how have you navigated? Um, so, you know, we both graduated high school at the same time. I always yeah. tell my students I remember a time without Wi-Fi, without video chatting. I mean, video chatting had to be done with a satellite television, large screen, you know, it, and it was just involved all these wires and everything. Look, here we are, you know, with our laptops or, or whatever, whatever devices we may have. Um, and here we are, Information Society 2021. Um, yeah. And we're we're in a particular era. Um and I'm just curious how you've navigated it. I listened to your, was it the TED talk that you gave? Yeah. 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 I don't I Just talk to me a little bit about that and just how you've engaged just is, with issues of gender, human sexuality, how those things are over intersect, you know, cause bringing out a private Christian school. Uh, I'd be curious yeah. to see how that uh, goes over. Yeah. Um, well, I think that, God, I'm trying to think of what direction I want to take this in or how I want to answer this question. <sighs> I think one of the things, especially as, you know, as it that we grew up, that, you know, we graduated high school almost 30 years ago, living in a non-internet, non-cell phone kind of world and how do we navigate that now? I'm, I, I consider myself pretty fortunate and that I've learned how to navigate the internet. I've learned how to navigate the world in this tech space because I, I think that I do have that fear of, Oh, I don't want, I don't want to be outdated. I don't, I don't know if that's the right, that's if I'm saying that properly, but I don't want to like, I want to be sort of in the know and I recognize I don't know everything. I recognize there's always going to be something that I just can't, you know, connect to uh, like I guess technically but there is something to say like I'm glad that I'm I'm sort of navigating this world through you know this last year of zoom classes and and making videos on YouTube and and teaching in this sort of modern age even though that wasn't something that I grew up with and I'm and I'm glad that I I have that as part of my past, but I also don't look at it and go, oh, I wish I had this instead because you can't turn back the clock. Um, you know, and as we're kind of navigating feminism and, you know, sexuality and, and all of that stuff that kind of comes with being a human being and, and especially at a private Christian school, I think I've just never stopped and this might sound trite. It might sound really kind of um, lame, but I guess I've never stopped being myself in a way. Like I, I realized a long time ago, and I think some of this comes with being over 40, like three years away from 50, is that I just am tired of apologizing for myself. I'm tired yeah. of, of, of hiding who I am. I'm tired of like, 
I'm 47 years old. Like I'm not, you know, like I'm not going to like hide my existence. I'm not going to, you know, go to a job interview anymore, like hiding tattoos or hiding like, Hey, this is, you know, like I just, I've done that. I've navigated that world um, for a really long time, kind of because that was sort of the name of the game um, of wearing like a long sleeve shirt and being like, Oh, like, you know, and I just, I, you know, I'm like, no, like, this is who I am. Like, these are my credentials. This is my, this is who I am. And I'm proud of it. And I think that, I think that helps to shine through. I think that shines through of like, I'm not, I'm, I'm just not apologizing for who I am anymore. And I think that's part of being a feminist. I think that's also part of being a human being Mm -hmm. that I, I want to walk into a room sort of holding my own. I don't want to walk into a room, you know, virtual or otherwise sort of with my head down and being like, Hey, I'm so sorry to bother you. Cause I've witnessed that with women. I've studied women for well over a decade. I mean, I'm, I guess I've been studying women my whole entire life, including myself that I've, I've watched women and I've watched myself kind of minimize our existence. And, and that, that was the basis of my Ted talk, as you mentioned, like it was these ABCs of, of how women are socialized. Cause it's, you know, we're all products of society and it's not all our fault. It's not all men's fault. It's not, it's just a, we're all products of this sort of this world that we've all formed together. And I just was like, we need to sort of change the, change the narrative and so why not start with just like the basic of ABCs and kind of take it from there. But I think it also starts within because I used to apologize for taking up space. I used to be like, Oh, I'm really sorry. I'm in your way. And, you know, and I just was like, that's bullshit. Like I can't, there's nothing wrong with me taking up space. There's nothing wrong with, you know, the, you know, it, like maybe the phrase these days is like, I'm maybe it might be seen as extra, And it's like, what's wrong with being extra, right? There's like, I'm proud to be extra. Like being extra got me to where I am today in this world. Like you have to be extra. You can't just be a wallflower and think that like, you know, it's like, I love the phrase, right? About being in the, like winning the lottery. Like you got to be in it to win it. Like if you're not in it, you can't win it. And I think that kind of goes with life. Like you have to show up. And if you don't, I don't know, like, and I recognize there's other things. Like I recognize like there's other, there's other things that are going to, you know, right. We, we, we can talk about like ageism and sexism and, and racism and all of those things are factors, but I still think that you have to show up. I mm-hmm. think you, ha- you just, you have to be present and I'm just not apologizing anymore for it. No, I love that. I and I and I because so much of that is exactly just how I feel in, in in regards to where life is. I know I've talked with my own partner about you know just where we're both at because we're both the same age as well, and it's it's like yeah, you know, I'm just it, this is this is I guess just you know it's maybe it's a byproduct of being middle aged, right? It's like hey, this is just who I am, and maybe I get honorary as I get older, um, right? But I, you know, I'd be curious, Jeff. Just how has it, you know, um, 
we live in a pretty contentious, I mean, being a communications scholar, right? We live in a pretty contentious society where things can get miscommunicated, things can get misconstrued, things lack context, right? Um, yeah. There's a lot of, right, to even go into what Neil Postman talked about, right? Kind of this amusement of ourselves to death, you know, the soundbite society, like, how do you, one, find facts, truth right now, you know, for your own self in the middle of, we're still in the pandemic, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, in the middle of folks saying no, no vaccines, it's, they're putting stuff, I mean, you got Nicki Minaj talking about, you know, her cousins, cousins, uncles, testicles grew to, you know, watermelon size, and, and so, you know, we, we're, we're living in this, this society, right, where it's difficult, because it's like, there's so much right that can be done, for example, with video. Um, I'm forgetting the app, and I remember playing it uh, in my class, my social media friends and family class, uh, about four years ago, and they hadn't released it to the public yet, but it was basically where you could get a picture of somebody, and then it becomes videotized, and then you can switch the voices. So it looks like, you know, if you wanted to get Donald uh, Trump or yeah. Barack Obama, it looks like yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. you know, they call them deep fakes, right? You know, yeah. it's like... Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, I'd be curious, you know, what, what, how do you do that? How do you present some of that stuff and deal with that stuff, you know, even in the classroom? Because I'm sure you've had some knuckleheads, your share of knuckleheads in, the, uh, in oh, that yeah. wondrous classroom yeah. of ours. <laughs> and I, I, think part of, I think part of teaching is that you're going to get knuckleheads and you're like, oh, who is it going to be this semester? Like, yeah. where, where are they going to appear and how are they going to appear? Um, and I, I, you probably, ha I mean, I think like, you know, I try and have like, I probably have like one or two at least every semester, you know, I mean, I'm, I like to think I'm, you know, I, and I think sometimes knuckleheads are, maybe they're good at disguising their knuckleheadedness, you know, and yeah. maybe I'm oblivious yeah. to it. Maybe they're just better at disguising it. Um, and I always think like more power to you. Like if you can do that in the world, like in public speaking, you know, I've often talked about like, you know, they have to do six speeches throughout the semester. And I talk about how you've got to practice, you got to practice. And we talk about breathing techniques and we, I give them like a formula of like, Hey, this is sort of the structure of your speech. I'm not this, you got to create the content. And I'm like, listen, practicing is key. Like if you think that you can just get up and just sort of spew out, you know, just words and you can run through the, whether it's a 60 to 90 second speech or a two to three minute or a, even a five to seven minute speech, if you can just talk aimlessly and make it happen and make it believable, I applaud you. I applaud you a thousand percent. There are some people that can do it. Absolutely. And you, there are some people that just don't need to practice and you can just, you can just talk and figure it out but I will tell you the majority of the people can't, but if you can, hmm. I will applaud you on that one because I think some people can, like my husband is that kind of person where he can just, he knows how to just formulate words as they're coming out of his mouth. And I'm like, I think that's incredible. But in order for me to give a speech, I need to have, I, I mean, there are some things of course that I think I can just sort of make up as I go along. But if I'm looking at like a formal speech, I need to have some sort of outline. I need to have some sort of structure, but I'll always tell my students, listen, if you can make it up as you go along and, and I believe you, 
that's fine by me. That's fine. Because, <laughs> yeah. then, because I think there are some people that do have that talent. Sure. I'd say the majority, I think I've had like one or two students that have been able to do it. And you know, that's true. But yeah. And I say that in a way because I want them to know, cause I think there's always going to be these students that are like, Oh, I'm not going to practice and she'll never have any idea, but I just cut it off right up the pass and just be like, just be honest with me. Like if you didn't practice, but you had a phenomenal speech, excellent. Great. Then you, then you win. Then you're awesome. You know? And I think that, I think they're very, I think that sort of surprises them of like that. I'm sort of allowing, I'm allowing that, but I also know that not everybody can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I hear that. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, how's the topic of, you know, religion and faith, you know, engaged you, you know, and also in this this era, you know, especially since, you know, Texas has got, I mean, yeah. their new yeah. um, you know, law uh, really against women and 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 you know, of course it's the abortion law, but you know, and we had right. what was it, a federal judge or a district court judge, you know, banned it for a minute and then Another yeah. judge higher than them came back and was like, nah, 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 they, they can do it. They can do whatever they want, you know, um, and that's just one. Right. I mean, it's like the, it's the ongoing right fight, you know, for, you know, it's like, it's always interesting to me, too, that people will say, no, you should not have an abortion. No, you absolutely not. And, you know, but then people want to say, hey, it's my right. You know, my body, I don't have to wear a mask, you know, <laughs> so, and I, don't, I don't have to get vaccinated because, you know, that's this is my body, my choice. And I'm like, oh, right. interesting. That's your body, yeah. your choice. Huh? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's funny how they've commandeered that that phrasing of that like, it's my body, my choice. But it's like you do realize that you've heard that elsewhere. You've heard, you realize that right. like women have been saying that forever and but yet it's like it's on this new right it's kind of on this new bandwagon if you will about this whole mask thing and it's you know yeah it you know chad and i were actually just talking about the we were watching a video about texas and overturning roe versus wade and i'm like i can't i just it blows me away that it's 2021 and we're ha we're still having this conversation but at the same time, is it really that surprising? Because there's always going to be people that are like, that have to protect the unborn child. And it, I always find it fascinating because it's like that unborn child is so safe for you to protect because it's not yours and it doesn't exist. It doesn't even, it's like this, it's like you're protecting a ghost. And because I, let's be honest, the whole, uh, for me, I don't think that it's, it's really not about protecting the unborn child. It's telling women what to do with their bodies, right? I think it's always about control because if people were really pro-life, they would also be concerned about that child after the child was born, right? We'd, we'd have better conversations about about welfare and about, you know, daycare. And uh, it, it, I mean, and this is not a conversation that hasn't been had a thousand times over, like a million times over. We all know that pro-life is really about pro-control of a woman's body. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and 
control over this unborn child that doesn't even exist and, and disguising it as religious or, you know, that's what God would have wanted. And it's like, I don't know. It's just like, I, it just blows me away that somebody can be like, well, let me just tell you, let me tell you what you can do with your body. Like how, like it fascinates me. Like when you see these photos of like, you know, a dozen men in a room talking about women's health care, and you're like, how, how would you feel if 12 women were in a room talking about men's health care? Like it just, it just, first of all, it would never exist. And that would never happen. But for some reason they, you know, it's a, it's a whole control issue. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I was raised Catholic, you know, I mean, I had my first communion and reconciliation and my confirmation. And I, I went to Catholic school till I was a senior in high school. I graduated from a, a Catholic school, you know, and it's, it's interesting because religion isn't a major part of my life. Um, I didn't like renounce a religion. I didn't get rid of a religion. Um, in the past, if I've ever gone to church, like as an adult, I've always gone to a Catholic church because it's familiar to me and it's what I know. But I, you know, I also don't really believe in a lot of the stuff the Catholic church believes in. I, you know, I'm very, very pro-choice and I'm, I have no problem being vocal about that. Um, I also believe that, you know, women can be priests and I mean, it's, it's a very, very complicated, um, you know, it's, it's certainly not, it's not an easy topic to talk about with other people. Um, because as much as I believe that I'm right, there's another side that believes they're just as right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and that's, I mean, that brings up, right, the topic of, you know, disagreeing and because I feel that often sometimes, whether it be GOP or even, you know, Democrats or liberals for that matter, there seems to be this kind of demonizing right of the other. I mean, we hear this a lot right from the GOP, right, that or particularly right wingers and those who like storm the Capitol, the terrorists on January 6th, right, who said, yeah. you know, basically this country is going to hell. Uh, socialists are taking over. Uh, the liberals are just trying to ruin this country. Take away your freedoms. Take away your guns. Um you know, for those who have, I mean, what, I mean, how do these, do these come up in class? How do they, how do you, how do you navigate some of those uh, conversations as well uh, in the classroom, especially for, you know, some of the listeners I have, you know, are just up and coming folks who are teaching in, you know, in the academy and just, you know, haven't necessarily been in the, the, the classroom that long. And I know asking those questions, like, oh my gosh, like, how do you handle some of these conversations, especially, and I'll say this and then I'll shut up. I always tell students it's difficult teaching courses on race and ethnicity, intercultural calm, right? Because you can't take the standard academic academy approach where you're supposed to just present facts and help students learn. I mean, I'm talking about, right, my own subjugation, right, as a black man in this country. So it's difficult to just remain unbiased uh, in that situation, right? It's like, okay. No, slavery was not right. I don't need to hear the other side of that. I don't need to hear the other side for neo-Nazis or any Nazi for that matter. Um, I don't need to hear the other side about, you know, having a rapist statue up. You know, I don't I don't need to hear that other side. Right. There's just some things in life 
that there's just not. Um, but it also seems like, oh, but then, you know, you don't want to hear the full story. How do you, yeah, how do you engage with that? How's, how some of that stuff come up for you and, 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 and whatnot? So, yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my first semester teaching um, at the university level, I, you know, I taught very, I taught non-traditionally for, you know, years and years uh, before that I would go to corporate America and do workshops and, and teach adults. My very first semester teaching academically at the university level was fall of 2016, Okay, which, oh, um, wow. you know, yeah. So that was, you know, the election and I taught at a public school and it was interesting because I had between the two classes that I taught, I had like 65 students Okay, and it was hefty. I taught interpersonal communication and communications 101. So I, that con 101 was like, I had like 40 students in that class. Um, it was a hefty, hefty class. I don't, I don't enjoy a 40 person class. Yeah. I think 20 is even like, Oh, I got 20. I like 20, but like, I don't know, 16 to 18 is like kind of the, to yep. me like the, the perfect amount. But I, you know, I ended up using the election as part of um, my communication classes because it was like right there history in the making. And I was actually quite stunned at, at when I asked my students if people were going to vote I, the majority of them said they weren't going to vote. Um, like hardly any said that they were going to vote. And some of the reasons were that they didn't like either candidate. And some of them were like, I didn't, I don't even know who's running. Um, which I found fascinating, which I found absolutely fascinating. Um, and this is, you know, fall of 2016. So I believe that was the, the very tail end of the millennials, right? I, we didn't really get to Gen Z until like a year or two later. So I think these were the very, very tail end of millennials that were in college at this time. And they just weren't interested in it. In fact, any, I actually ended up using a lot of the news stories and the debates in the classroom about especially about like nonverbal communication and how and then especially when the um the grab like when trump came up and was like i'm gonna grab her by the pussy that came up first of all my students had no idea that was in the news that was that i had showed them the 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 clip that was floating around it was like that was like what is october 2016 so it was right like a month before the election right and they had no idea. This was the first they had ever heard of this soundbite of Trump and Billy Bush being on the bus and talking about, let's just grab her by the pussy. So, like, I didn't realize that I was introducing them to this for the very first time. Like, this was just, it was, I was floored. Because it was, like, all over the news. And it was all in my Facebook feed. And it was, it was they were just oblivious to the whole thing. Um you know, and I, and I, and I, you know, I think as a professor, I don't know if we're kind of supposed to be like, oh, I can't talk about like my political views or I can't talk about my, but I think students just sort of look at me and they know which way I vote. <laughs> like, I, I don't think that I can really hide that. Um, but <laughs> I also don't, it's, I will tell you like, in public speaking and in film studies, 
the concept of like race and feminism and stuff like that just doesn't really pop up a lot. Film studies a little bit. We, I mean, we definitely have conversations about race and about gender and about that kind of stuff, but not on like a, a, a scale of like, where we're going to talk about like Roe versus Wade. Like it's more along the lines of like where we, you know, one of the movies I have them watch is do the right thing. I have them watch boys don't cry. I have them watch moonlight. I have them watch pariah. Like, we talk about it sort of on that level and about storytelling and how mm. representation matters, but it's not talked about on a level of like that. I think that we're going to, that there's going to be like a disagreement on, I think it's just having a better understanding of why it's important to share these stories um, in, in the world of film studies. We've been in group communication this semester and really every semester there's always going to be a bit of a topic about politics, um, about gender, um, just because like in some of the movies that I have them watch and some of the documentaries I have them watch in group communication, we can't help but have that discussion. Like right now, group communication, they're watching, they're just starting this new section where they're watching these five documentaries slash movies. And it's, uh, not for ourselves alone. So it's the three-hour Ken Burns documentary about women getting the right to vote, hmm. um, which is really important. And I find that actually a lot of people don't realize that women have to fight for their right to vote. Right. But I also have to talk about right. like, listen, and this is only white women, right? Yeah. Let's be honest. Like, it's not, we, we can easily say women and you can think that it's all women, right. but it's not. It's just white women. And in fact, I just shared the other day about women today and how they make like, I forget what the exact number is, but it's like 79 cents on the dollar, you know, white women. But then I'm like, but women of color are making like 68 cents on the dollar. And I, I could be, I could have those stats wrong, but it's, they're not equal. They're right. not equal by any means. So, you know, they watch not for ourselves alone. I have them watch hidden figures, um, about oh, yeah. the African-American women helping like, and the fact that like, none of us really knew that story even existed until that movie came out. I talked to many people. I didn't know that that was a, I didn't know about those women and why are we not sharing that in a history class? And then they also watch, um, I have them watch black Klansmen, which I think is no, about, you know, it's about the, yeah. <laughs> the black man that, uh, was it, uh, what's his, I forget his name. Um, Ron, Ron Stallworth, is that his name? I How think a black so, yeah. man infiltrated the KKK. But then I also have them watch Dogtown and Z Boys about where the skate culture came from in the 1970s, all because of a drought, all because of a drought in California and the surfing community. Because I really take these movies and these documentaries about these this perceived notion of an unchangeable situation and how they were able to change society on a whole, like on a grander scale. I mean, I think about now we have skateboarding in the Olympics, right? We have the X games and how much is, is that in society when that used to be counterculture, um, even women getting the right to vote right now we're at a hundred years later, all because these women stood up and were like, Hey, I'm going to make changes. So, but I also talk about how it can get really messy. It's not easy. And, especially because now we're, you know, we're still in this pandemic where it's this perceived unchangeable situation, but it is changeable. It just takes time. I like that. I like that. Cause I was going to, that's going to be my next question was like, you know, in 
And, and you know, one of the reasons, you know, for those of you just listening, you know, prior to the me hitting record, we were talking about, you know, uh, social media. And, you know, anyone who's ever listened to the show knows exactly why I'm off social media and gotten booed off Twitter. Uh, but one of the reasons is just, I think... Um, it's easy to lose a lot of uh, hope and just into depression. I mean, kind of getting sunk into right all the the nasty, nefarious, just really put downs that show up in comments. Yeah. Uh, I you know I I try to make it a point not to read comments, especially when it pertains to anything. You know, whether, you know, whether it's black bodies, whether it's just women in general, especially this whole thing going down in Texas. Right. Um, and so it's it's very easy just to kind of just lose a sense of, you know, of, of kindness and just. Uh, yeah. Being ethical um, in, yeah. in regards to, you know, your fellow your fellow beings that you know we live next to. So how do you, I mean, how do you do that? How do you, uh, you know, remain in that or, or you, and you, and feel free. That's not a pressure question either to, you know, have some of this, like, you know, this toxic positivity that, you know, kind of gets spread all over the place. And, you know, there's a lot of religion that's woven into that as well. Um, yeah. there's a lot of, uh, it's one of the things that drives me. I, I'm sure this is pissing people off, and, and no disrespect to any of my friends who are trainers, but it's like it's one of the things that drives me nuts about a lot of personal trainers. It's like this this sense of like, you know, exuberant hyper positivity that it's like, yeah, I get that on some days, but yeah. on other days, that's that's I don't feel that way, and I don't feel just that great. I mean, it's kind of the ebb and flow of just humanity in general. So I'd be curious just how. You keep that, the momentum. You said you're an extrovert, um, you know, and just the just the daily toll, right? You know, just to kind of get out of bed every day and, 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 and let's do it again. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, it's funny because I, I would have definitely categorized myself at one point as like this, and I, I forget what the phrasing is, but this like ultra positive, this like, go team cheerleader, like, come on. And, and, and I think to a degree I am that way. I mean, I think if you meet my mother, like she's like the most positive person ever. Uh, my mom had brain surgery in 2011 and made it look like getting a pedicure. Um, um, and she's fine. She's totally, okay. <laughs> she's right. like totally fine, but she did. She was like, Oh, like, she's like, Nick, it's fine. I, you know, she's like, I have plans next week. I'm not going anywhere. It's, there's too many people that count on me. Like she was very logical about it. Um, I do know that she is a human being and I know that she was scared. Um, but there's also something about, about that I admired her for being positive and being scared. And I think as, especially as I've gotten older, I've learned to embrace both of those things. And I've learned to also share that with my students and share that with and having that understanding of like, you know, and it's this phrase and I wish I would have came up with it because it's such a classic phrase that we, like, we, I think we've heard it more and more even in this, in the pandemic of it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. And there's something about giving people permission that it's okay. We have a bad day. And I, I had a yoga instructor. I mean, like a deck, I did Bikram yoga for years and years and I had this yoga instructor. Um, I, I think I, if I'm not mistaken. I think his name was uh, Stuart Getz. I think that was his name. And I remember in the middle of a yoga class one day, he was like, every day you give a hundred percent. 
every day. But every day, that 100% is going to look different. And that's okay. And I've never forgotten that. I share that with my students all the time. Hmm. Because I hear all the time of like, oh, I don't really feel 100% today. Or I, I, I don't really have it. You know, I don't have like, I don't really feel like myself today. And I always remind them that you are giving 100%. It's just that it looks different today than it does yesterday. That 100% in a pandemic is very different than 100% not in a pandemic. 100% when it's like 30 degrees versus 90 degrees. You know, it's always going to look different. 100% on a bad like outfit day. When you walk out and you're like, oh, like, you know, or like when your socks are like riding down into your shoes and you're like, I just need to go to bed and start over. All of that counts and all of that is valid and legitimate. And I think, especially as I get older, I've just sort of learned to navigate that it's okay to kind of have a shitty day, but it's also okay to look positive, to be positive and kind of be like, you know what, like life is going to happen. And that's, that's also kind of what makes life life. You know, like going through this pandemic, like I remember when it when it just hit that spring of 2020 and talking to my students and I'm like, listen, this is going to make you or break you. Because I think there are people that kind of do play that victim role and they do have that of like, oh, life is over. I guess it's how it is. And it's like, listen, especially for the students that were graduating, right? Yeah, that May yeah. of 2020. I'm like, this is going to make you or break you. Like, don't let this break you. And I said, I'm speaking from someone that moved to, you know, we could bring it back to what we were talking about in the beginning, moving to New York city in the middle of nine 11, right. That, that wasn't the plan. It just, you know, happened because of circumstances and because of timing. And I recognize that nine 11 is very different. I mean, very different on, on, a, on a grander scale, like than the pandemic. I get that. I, and I, and I know they're two different but there's still these tragic events that are happening in our life. And like, how are you going to sort of navigate through it instead of just being like, well, I give up, you know? And it doesn't mean you can't have a, I like to call them these days, like a bad COVID day. Like, I'm not saying that you have COVID when you can have a bad COVID day, but you just have that day where like the world is just, you just feel like it's just, you're just beaten down. And I think that's where I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go home. I'm just going to watch some TV and I'm just going to breathe. And You're like, right. I'm just going to concentrate on that. I'm just going to eat like a whole pizza. And <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to watch like the office over and over and over again because it makes me feel safe. And then tomorrow's a new day. And I'm just going to have like an expiration date on this, like sadness on this, like shit day. And I move on. And I'm not saying it's that, you know, clear cut. I'm not saying it's that easy, but I think that it's possible that you can at least try. And tomorrow is a new day. There's something about when that sun comes up that it's like, Oh, anything is possible. I like that. I like that. That's good. That's good. That'll, as they say in my tradition, that'll preach. I think, um, you know, (laughs) the reality of it is, I think that, you know, like you just said, right. The yin and the yang, it's like, you know, the same way you can say, um, 
yeah, today was a really messed up day. You know, you can still look at it, right, and reshape some of those things. Because I guess that's, you know, I know I want to be conscious of our time and everything. And, and, and you know, what are some what are some of the things that uh, give you hope? What are some of the things that, uh, you know, conversely uh, concern you, you know, moving uh, into the future, so to speak? Um, yeah. Um, I definitely, things that concern me are... I mean, I, if we can take it to a grander scale, right? Women's health care, that's always going to concern me. I also think that the things that concern me are humans' attention spans and are, you know, one of the movies that uh, my group communication class just watched is The Social Dilemma. Oh yeah, uh, and it's you know it's really eye opening. And you know I'm on social media, and I, and I will say once the pandemic hit, I am definitely not on it as much as I was pre um, the pandemic. I also used to run uh, like these monthly women's events for six years uh, leading up to the pandemic. In fact, I kind of right before the pandemic hit, I made this conscious decision. I was like, I it was just too much for me. I was kind of, I wasn't loving it anymore. Mm-hmm. So I was definitely on social media so much more because I was promoting it. But, um, you know, as you know, I teach three classes at North park, but I also work four days a week at Trader Joe's. I you know, I work these yeah. 5am shifts and I open the store. So it's like, so I'm in the public, I'm in the public all the time. So it's funny, like this last year we resumed teaching Right, because of the pandemic, but I didn't stop working in a public-facing grocery store. Right, so it's funny, like to kind of. But I, there's also something kind of reassuring about, like, I kind of had like that yin and the yang with it. Whereas, like, I, I like the physicality of working at Trader Joe's. I like the community. I like the camaraderie. I like that we were sort of in this like quote-unquote like war together. I like that we had, I had, you know a bit of a social life, um, there, but then it was also exhausting mentally, you know, sort of taking care of the psyche of of my students. So, but I think it's a good balance. I think it also kind of keeps me down to earth and I'm like, okay, I can also take what I'm teaching in communication and my communication skills and use them in my, my non-academic life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, you know, to go back to your question of like what concerns me is that I, I worry about the well-being of humans. I, you know, I can see it even when I'm working at Trader Joe's and I, and I see these people that are just on their phone the whole time and there's no interaction with people. And I think because I am fascinated by humans and human behavior and why we do what we do, that sort of this 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 thing that we have this camaraderie with humans is slowly getting lost Mm -hmm. because we're just like we are looking at humans as more of like a a service as opposed to being humans like they're like oh well they're just bringing up my groceries i don't really need to talk to them and i think the art of small talk is slowly going away and I'm doing my best. I'm doing everything I can to, to bring that back. And I think anybody at Trader Joe's, trust me, if you ever go into a Trader Joe's, 
the art of small talk is sort of everywhere um, because that's how we, that's how the world that we want to live in. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. I mean, I think too, just of, you know, the automation, I, I try to make it a point to use cashiers when I do go to the store that are actual people yeah. as opposed to, you know, you can always check out yourself as I've noticed yeah. those growing Costco, Jewel Costco yeah. used to be like one or two. And now it's like a whole bunch and like, some Walmarts, that's it. There's no more cashiers. And it's like, yeah. so I don't know. You're right. You're right. I mean, I think there's something about that. Um, I mean, you said it perfectly, the automation of humans. And I recognize that we're, there's always going to be something that's an automation of a human. I get that. But I think that we can't forget about the human factor. Yeah. Yes. I think that's the key. And that's the challenge, right? In these days and times. And that's part of what, you know, as you know, as a communications scholar, right, you you can't hop on the bandwagon that says, oh, this new media is tearing it up. Right. People were saying that about newspapers. People were saying that about, <laughs> you know, books. And, I mean, and so it's like there's always kind of this new technology, right, that we as humans are like, oh, I don't know about that. Um, right. You know, but at the same time, there is something right about the nuance of sitting behind a screen or being able to comment on something and then not have to really ever have to deal right with the the consequences right in front like you know as you know like people will say some yeah. crazy stuff online that they would never say to your face right um, right and it can be taken so out of context it true. can be i just had I, I like i said my world on social media is really really limited right now and i don't post a lot like i used to and um and i don't also don't comment a lot and i I recently, like recently, like in the last week, decided to make a comment, a, a counter comment to something that I was, and I was very much like, this is non-judgmental, and this is my perspective of it, and I was blasted on it. I was like, mm. and it was, and I also, and I also recognized, I reread my words, and I was like, oh, I can totally see how that could be seen that way i was like told to do better i was told that i was tone deaf um and i thought about it and i kind of i sort of agonized over it and and i thought i i can't let this like destroy me i can't let this because it's it's not as easy as just reading the words and going oh that's just that's who this person is and it's like i can see how through that miscommunication i can see where Oh, if I read this, that that it could be seen as tone deaf. But I also think recognizing that it's not such a black and white issue that that's tone deaf of just of taking it at face value and going, well, this is exactly what she she means. I think yeah. that's also tone deaf. With and I think I don't think people are always taking into consideration like the bigger picture and and it sucks and it makes me not want to comment on stuff and and i don't think that they're necessarily wrong with how they feel i just think that there's a bigger story to it all oh absolutely absolutely yeah wow well we have covered some ground here uh, uh reverend nikki uh this has been uh <laughs> this has been good i have gotten to know you a little bit better um i appreciate your perspective and um i love just you know hearing your way of of engaging life um, you know, with where we're at, because I think that's part of 
I think that's part of the maneuverability right now. I think it's trying to figure out like, how do we move forward? Like this COVID thing is probably going to be with us for a while. Like we can't just put the American stamp, like we're done. Yeah. Victory. Yeah. You know, right. job well done. It's like, nah. Yeah. I mean, some some cities think that. Some states think that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um, well, where can folks find you? Um, I'm sure there's a host of folks who are like, man, you know, maybe I, I want to have uh, Nikki out and, and, you know, pay you that honorarium, mm-hmm. that... Uh, you right. know that that that, uh, that fifty thousand dollar keynote speech, that hundred thousand yes. dollar you know retainer fee. Uh, where can folks get a hold of you at? People can find me at a website that's nikkinigo dot com. N i k k i n i g l is in Larry dot com. Um, that's where you can find me. Um, currently being updated. It's a little. It's kind of got some old stuff on there, but um, I'm in the process of revamping it. As I think everyone is always revamping uh, their yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, you can find me Nikki Nigo on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter. Not super active on there, but um, that's where you can always get in touch with me. Cool. So. And if, as always, for those listening, I'll put these in the show notes at White Lodge Podcasts dot com forward slash profane faith i always tell folks go to the show notes it's always good stuff there i also i will also link uh your tedx talk uh as well there so you can check that out nikki thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and uh just having a chat with me i appreciate it thank you so much dan i'm honored to be uh to be having this chat with you and to get in this you know chunk of time with you so it's it's also been an honor to also get to know you a little bit more